podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about feeling stuck creatively, feeling stuck emotionally, and what it takes to get unstuck. And we're going to answer your questions with today's guest. Rosie Golan is here today, one of my favorite musicians. Thank you. And we're really grateful to have you today. Uh, Your newest collection of songs is called Collecting Bullets. So folks can definitely check that out. We'll be talking about some music today. The reason I wanted to call this one unstuck or feeling unstuck is I read an interview you were doing uh, between albums uh, when you were recording Collecting Bullets. and, And that that phrase actually came out. You said, I was feeling stuck. And so we have some questions. The, the way this podcast typically works is we, we don't interview people per se. We have some conversations that, that, are, that tend to be based around questions that our audience has, but really we just inject ourselves into the, the whole experience. So I'm hoping to talk to you about about that creative process and and what got you unstuck and, and what you had to go through in order to get unstuck. Our, our first question today is from Sam in Cleveland, Ohio. Since I graduated from college, I've been working in college admissions. I've been a tour guide and I loved working with students and so that was always something that I truly loved doing and I did find purpose in when I was a student and that kind of kept me going through college even though college wasn't quite my thing. Now that I've graduated, I've now worked for four years in college admission, and sometimes I feel like that gives me a true purpose, but then there's other times that I feel like it's not. How do you keep going when not every single day feels like you're working towards your true calling or purpose? How do you move forward, or maybe should I start looking for something else? So this is fascinating, Rosie. I'm sure once you became a musician, all the drudgery was gone, and every day you felt fully fulfilled. <laughs> like you rode here on a unicorn, like on a rainbow road to the studio, right? Yeah, that is, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> are, are there days where you feel like, like you, oh, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? There's years when I feel <laughs> that way. Um, you know what? Somebody once gave me some really good advice when it came to relationships, and I kind of also uh, use it with music, which is no one person can be everything to you. Mm. So like if you are, you know, in a relationship, that person can't be your best friend and your lover and your confidant and the person that you go to for every single thing. There are things that you're not going to want to talk to them about or that you're not going to be able to laugh with them about. You're not always going to share in every single thing. I mean, you can get as close to that as possible. But the truth is like, there are things that I can get from my girlfriends that I can't get from a partner, you know, that I can get from my mom that I can't get from my girlfriends, you know, and so forth. And I think it's the same with what I do for a living. There are like literally months on end where I'm just like, what am I even doing? And the longer I've been doing it, the more I realize that in order for me to like really appreciate what I do and like also 
to like stay re-energized in doing what I do is to also do other things. Mm. Yeah. That's the thing is like to just realize. And also I, you know, because these days I don't think most people are probably going to do the one thing that they're doing for the rest of their lives. No. No. You know, it's, I think that we like, it's cyclical now. I think that you can have more than one career in a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I think we're, we're seeing the, the data bear out now where, you know what? We have uh, people who are younger than us are, are going to go through more careers than our parents went through job titles. Right. So our parents may have had the opportunity to work at a factory for 30 years or whatever. Not your parents, apparently, because uh, <laughs> before the podcast, you were telling us that your fa- father was a, 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 yeah. an actual gypsy. Yeah. <laughs> um, career was not really his thing. <laughs> right. And I think if we're focused on career, we might be focused on the wrong thing. But I also think, conversely, if we're just focused on passion, we might be focused on, on the wrong thing. Yeah. Ryan and I often talk about cultivating a passion. And I think maybe the thing that is missing here for Sam or the thing that was missing for me and Ryan in, in our corporate lives of yesteryear was we we forsook creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think the opposite can also be true. I know, I know a lot of creative folks who forsake the getting the creation out into the world because it seems disingenuous Mm -hmm. or like, I don't want to seem markety or whatever. Like I get it, but it's what you're talking about with the relationships. There's a balance there. And I think there's a balance with anything. I think with Sam's career, what she's doing right now for her job, I guess the question I would ask her is what can you do outside that job if you could do anything? And and I think some of us, we, we tend to go toward the, we, without knowing it, we pacify ourselves. Like, well, I'll just hop on YouTube for a few hours or I'm just going to turn on some TV or uh, I'm going to waste some time effectively. And that's not what I mean. Like, what would you do if you could do anything? But but if you had the opportunity, what would you really do? What would you do that serves the greater good? And I think, Rosie, you found that in music. You you What you've done with music has served the greater good. You've created something beautiful, several beautiful bodies of work. Thank you. Uh, but in, in doing that, um, I imagine, I imagine there was a lot of heartache in the process of doing it. Well, I mean, I think in general, one thing that uh, songwriters often do, and I try not to, is you kind of self-destruct a lot of times to create, mm. <laughs> which is a terrible habit. Mm. Um, but it's one I've, I think I've, you know, I've grown out of because you have to like, f- you you have to find inspiration within other places. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was listening to your uh, one of your songs earlier today. Uh, don't you dare and oh. I, don't, I don't know what that song is exactly about but one of the lines is um every once in a while i do something that stirs me up yeah and i think that's like kind of hits the nail on the head with what you're trying to say with uh creativity yep yeah absolutely yeah yeah i, I, th- I think the other thing for sam too is she needs to reframe kind of how she's approaching uh her her career approaching her life mm-hmm. like yeah she talks about the true purpose or or that that true passion and or the true calling and the good news is is like sam there's not just one true calling for you out there there are many many different callings i know for me i used to think that if i found that one true calling then i would i'd ride to work on a rainbow road riding a unicorn i'd wake up every single day happy yeah the problem with that expectation is is that that's mania that's manic. If you're waking up every single day super excited, you're a manic person. And a manic person at its terminus is a 
they're naked directing traffic. Yeah, exactly. In the middle of the street. So, yeah. so instead of focusing on that true calling, instead of focusing on that true purpose, I would encourage Sam to focus on living a meaningful life. And living a meaningful life is when our short-term actions align with our long-term values and, and our beliefs. And when you do that, the beautiful byproduct of living a meaningful life is, is happiness. But expecting that one true calling to wake up every single day and say, oh man, like I'm, I can't wait to go and enroll students into college. I mean, that's, that's never going to happen. Even with Josh and I, I mean, we still got to pay taxes. We got to go on tours or a lot of, a lot of drudgery that we have to work through. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you the one thing that keeps me going though, is knowing that what I do, it, it it's at least helping a few people out. And, and that's really what I focus on. I don't really focus on like, okay, how many millions of people can I help? Or how, you know, how many likes can this post get? But it's like, if I can do something that's going to do something for uh, the, my community or you know somewhere across the world, like that's what really keeps me going. And I think Sam is doing that right now. She does have a, a job mm. where she is adding a little bit of value to the community. And and I'm not saying that well, Sam just focus on you know adding value to the community, and that's going to uh, that's going to be the answer to your question here. But that will help her at least feel good about what uh, what she's doing for her job. It's like I think about. Um, I saw this, uh, it was like a meme of this gentleman quoted, he was from Nigeria or something, refugee, and he got a job at a call center. And he was talking about how much he loved his job. Mm. He's like, man, I get to talk to people in the community. I get to help people with their problems. I, and, and just coming at it from that aspect, he could feel good about the work he was doing. Instead of, you know, I know when I uh, was in management in retail, it was like, what am I doing? I'm just like sitting here, you know, taking phone calls, selling cell phones. It was very easy for me to get down. But, mm -hmm. you know, now I look back, I could have reframed that a little bit differently. Although, the vast majority of that job did not align with my values and beliefs. Right. That's where we get into the problem. And you know what's funny about the, the uh, you said he was Nigerian who, who worked at a call center? Yeah. yeah. Him going in that job, it's, it's amazing how two people, two autonomous human beings can go into the same situation and say, man, I absolutely love this. And the person right next to them who's doing the same tasks are saying, I absolutely hate this. Mm -hmm. And part of it has to do with like, well, what's appropriate for you? But I think really a lot of it has to do with reframing your perspective. Yeah. Have you ever gone through recording something and you're like, I, I, you started to hate the process because it wasn't going well? Um, That's a type of feeling stuck. I think recording, no, but writing, yes. Uh, I definitely have like... Actually, that's not true. I did. I went through, I probably went through like a year of writing and recording an EP and scrapping it. And it's the only time that I've ever done that, that I've ever spent my time and effort and energy writing something, recording it, um, and then never releasing it. And that yeah. was, it felt like such a failure. But I think it's the same thing, like looking back, if I had, first of all, been like less precious about it because... I knew that, you know, putting new music out would actually be really great and like moving things forward and people were waiting for new music. And also if I had reframed it in the sense of like, okay, but like that was true in that moment. Mm -hmm. And like, cause that's the thing with music, like what's true in, the, in that moment isn't gonna be true in this moment. So like what I'm writing, you know, it works for that part of my life. And that's what music really is. Like for myself as a singer songwriter, like those are snapshots of like those moments in my life. So for instance, my first record, I'm so far away from that, even sure. though that's the record that so many people mm -hmm. often go back to. 
I can never recreate that because I was in a completely different phase and of my life. And if you tried to recreate it now, it would feel disingenuous. Yes, absolutely. It would, it would, you'd be referencing a person that was no longer you. You're like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess we looked fairly similar. Yeah. But, but I have the, the compound interest of years of wisdom that I've gained since then. I don't then. even hear myself in that. It's, it's crazy. Like, I, I can hear the experiences, but if I listen back to it, I sound so different to mm. myself, oh, wow. which is really weird. But you know what's fascinating is uh, those songs, even today, if someone goes back and listens to your first album, they a lot of people can relate to that because that's what they're going through right. currently, right? right? And so you have that sort of time capsule of your life, but it's also an, it's a time capsule by proxy for other people's lives. And, and I'm sure you get messages all the time where people are like, that really helped me get through X, whatever yeah. X is. Um, Sam, I want to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. Uh, speaking of, this is a book that I wrote when I was 32 with, with Ryan. And... I couldn't go back and write that, you know, six years later and, and, and say, and, and be completely different. It would be a totally different yeah. book for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite thing that we've ever done, but it's also, it, it was like, it, people often ask, how long did it take to write that book? I'm like, it took 32 years, right? Yep. The first album's the same way, right? Same it it way. takes 22 or 25 years or whatever the, the process is to get there because it's the lived experience of childhood and everything up to that. Yeah. And uh, so Sam, I'm going to send you a copy of that. If you like our... Um, if you like our podcast, you'll like the audiobook version of the book. But Ryan and I in there, we also talk about sort of walking away from the corporate world, not for the sake of just walking away from the corporate world, but because our priorities, well, we didn't even know what our priorities were. And that was a bit of, of a problem for us. And once we reprioritized our lives, we realized like, oh, this doesn't align with my values. And so I was able to figure that out and start walking, not just walking away from the corporate world, but walking towards something that was more meaningful for us let's move on to the lightning round ryan all right our first question is from marianne to become unstuck i need a good plan i'd love some ideas on how to map out a plan i have totally been there marianne all aspects from where to start to how to document now rosie what we do here is uh so we try to answer these questions in short shareable less than 140 character responses we call them minimal maxims but what we really do is we just maunder on a lot and we, we discuss it <laughs> until we come up with something that's pithy enough for Jessica to share. She also puts all of these in uh, the show notes and over at minimalmaxims.com. Um, we are at The Minimalists on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you have a question for us. Rosie, you're at Rosie Golan on yep. Twitter and Instagram? Yes. All right. You can find her there. All right. So Marianne wants to know about having a plan, Ryan. My, yeah. my first that's, thing. I, that's I, the thing that's the most important part to becoming unstuck is you got to have a plan to get unstuck. <laughs> See, I disagree. Okay. And and I think, here, here's my pithy answer. We'll just unpack it here. You don't get unstuck with more planning. You get unstuck with less friction. Hmm. And, and I think my aside there is, I, I think it, a plan is useful once you are unstuck. Hmm. But I think sometimes we stay stuck somewhere because we're not willing to take any any actual action. We just want to plan more around it. Hmm. Uh, a recording process or, or writing process. So for me, writing is like, well, I'll just keep writing and writing and writing. If I continue to write, then I won't ever have to publish this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if, if, if you've gone through that. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes planning makes you feel like you've already done the thing. That's, mm, yeah, that's definitely a danger. Yeah, so mm. I think like with getting stuck, for me, probably planning would be the opposite and just literally being like, okay, I'm just going to do this thing is probably the thing that's always 
made me unstuck. Mm. Like, you know, feeling super burnt out on New York and just being like, being like, okay, I'm packing my bags, I'm going to Paris. Without like sitting down and being like, okay, so I'm gonna save up this much or I'm gonna wait this long or this is what I'm gonna do and this is these are the areas I'm gonna research. I didn't do any of that, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, you made a decision though. I made a decision. And I think, I, think the, I think if I were to encapsulate that in a pithy answer for Rosie is um, decision is the antidote to stuckness. <laughs> it really is. Because you, you had to make a decision. You know what? Even if it's not the perfect decision, maybe it's even the wrong decision. Mm. At least that got you unstuck. But then, of course, having a plan once you are unstuck, I think is, is important. And the yeah. thing that I brought up here about friction is... Uh, yeah, to get unstuck, sometimes you have to remove some of the friction. There, there might be obstacles in your way that are making you feel stuck. For you, it might have been New York. That's at, so interesting, man, because we always talk about how adding friction to our lives is mm-hmm. necessary sometimes. But yeah, in this but case, you're saying take too a- much friction is bad. Mm. And I, it's like it's driving on a road, right? Where, where if you have too much friction, it's just boulder after boulder, and, and the the gravel's too heavy. You, you're doing off roading with without a vehicle that is an off road vehicle. Yeah. It's too much friction you can't traverse that landscape conversely if it's all ice Mm -hmm. then you're going to slide all over the place you don't have enough friction i think you want to find what's the appropriate amount of of friction Mm. and i think the creative process often allows us to to uh, sort of inject some good friction into our life So it's interesting because i took this question as not being stuck in the creative process but being stuck in life Mm -hmm. and when i look at you know my days of yesteryear if I didn't have a plan, there's no way I would have been able to leave my corporate job. Mm-hmm. There's no way I would have been able to uh, d- be on this journey with you with the minimalists. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I found myself stuck, well, here, let me give you my short answer and then I'll, I'll unpack it a little bit. So in order to have a good plan, you must be clear on three things, your outcome, why you want that outcome and the massive action steps needed to reach your desired outcome. So when I was working in the corporate world, I knew that I didn't want to work there anymore, but I couldn't just get up and quit. Right. I mean, if anyone tells you to just quit and start a blog, head for the hills. Yeah. That is the worst advice ever. Right. So for me to go from having copious amounts of debt, working 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week in a job that I hated, to getting to breaking away from that, the life that I had built the last decade to do that, took a huge plan for me. Sure. So for me, it was, I wanted to leave my job. That was my outcome. And then getting the reasons why, like, why do I, well, I want to create more. I want to be able to reclaim my time. I want to be able to get out of debt. Having, having those reasons why is what really gave me the leverage to take these mass, massive action steps. Well, maybe, so those steps, in, oh, go ahead. I was just saying, maybe the, the level of planning required is congruent to the the size of the the step you're trying to take. I think we can definitely get lost in the details. And yes, if you're planning a trip to Paris, like and trying to plan every little, I mean, I'm going to Scotland in July and like trying to plan, you know, our two weeks there is I get overwhelmed. And eventually I have a really good friend, Josh Wagner. He's like, Hey man, I'll take care of the planning. I'm like, Oh, thank you so much. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. I need a friend like that. (laughs) Like we just show up and he's like, this is what you owe me for the Airbnb. This is what you owe me for the ferry ticket. So, so, uh, yes, I, I totally agree that we can get caught in the details of planning. Um, I think that once we have a basic plan, though, so going back to uh, when I was in my corporate job, the plan was to get out of debt. Mm. What is step number one to getting out of debt? Well, I've got to stop spending more money than what I make. <laughs> Not only that, but I have to uh, start to cut back on uh, you know certain 
luxuries or uh, non-essentials. Conveniences. Conveniences. Yeah, I had to cut back to start paying down as much debt as I could. So yes, I, I, I think that I probably was stuck for five years thinking that, oh, well, here's here's where I am. Here's where I need to be. And there's way too many steps in between. Mm-hmm. But coming up with just a few reasonable massive action steps. And when I say massive action, it's like picking up and moving to Paris. Yeah. It's not just talking about moving to Paris. Right. It's about you know going to the gym and working out. It's not about just Googling uh, gyms near me. And then you call him and you sign up like, oh, I've, oh, I signed up for the gym. I'm there. Like you have to actually go to the gym. So yeah, there, there is a, just like with the friction, there's a balance between uh, no friction and too much friction. Exactly. And there's a balance between too much planning and no planning at all. Indeed. All right. Our next question is from Nui. How do you resolve creativity blocks? Well, this is a, this is a fascinating one. And I don't know if you experienced this, Rosie, with, with uh, writer's block or I don't know if they're singer songwriter block or whatever. Oh, there definitely is. I don't believe in it. I don't okay. think it exists. Okay. <laughs> um, and and here, here's why. There are times where, of course, it's more difficult and things aren't flowing. And like, th- there's a flow state where everything's just going right. And you're like, no matter what I write down, the, it's it's gold coming off my, my feather quill. Uh, it feels great. There are those times. But I think it requires the actual drudgery, The those times where we consider it to be writer's block. And so my, my short answer is, Writer's block is shorthand for this is not a priority. Mm. I think for a lot of us, we're like, I, yeah, writing's hard, but so is being a bricklayer. And bricklayers don't get bricklayer's block ever, right? <laughs> but they're both creating something meaningful. One person's creating a structure. The other person's creating something that is uh, you know, more based in creativity, like a, you know, a book or, or a song. But I, I think, yes, it exists, meaning the drudgery exists or the times where you just want to put your head through a wall and say, should I even be doing this? Mm. But what are some times you've, you've gone through where, where you were just stuck with the creativity block? Um, well, I think for me, the thing that I always try to remind myself was, again, a thing that I've just like learned over the years of writing, which is that even if you write the shittiest song today it took that song to get to the next one amen yeah so that's the thing it's like you know i never i never ever say okay i have writer's block so i'm just gonna stop writing Uh you you just have to keep doing it anyway and even if it sucks even if you like write the worst song you just have to keep doing it so i think that's it's true in that sense like it's not like i'm not gonna go to work just because like I'm having a bad day. Uh-huh. You know, like you still got to do it anyway. Right. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that I was just going to say. So like, that's kind of how I, I move through it. I don't just like uh, stop. You don't try to get around it. You, you go through it as opposed to, to trying to get around. I mean, and that's yeah. the thing is, is going through it. Like, you can't experience the sort of the, the peak of the mountaintop without, without tra- traversing the, the valley. Right. right. And you're going to have every creative process has a valley. And I think especially at first, there's this weird dichotomy because uh, most of what you do is bad when you first start doing a thing. When you first start writing songs or start yeah. writing books, the, f- the thing that you do, you're not that good at yet. You, you haven't developed the skill. But then as you develop the skill, you, you want to be able to, to get that out there in the world. 
but you know that it's not that good. And so 80% of the time you want to put your head through a wall, but over time that, that attenuates and it's 70% of the time. And eventually it's like half the time, even now, half the time, I'm a pretty good writer. I still want to put my head through a wall. The other half of the time it is glorious. And that's where the payoff is. The real payoff is after the the sort of drudgery. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I just thought of a pithy answer, uh, just kind of tying in that the planning question before this. So when it comes to creativity, uh, planning is not creativity. Creativity is creativity. And and that's really where I think we do get stuck in the creativity process. It's like we outline, we research, but we actually don't get to the creativity. The um, one thing I tell my writing students is research is not writing. Right, exactly. So uh, the the other the other um, pithy answer I got here is limitations breed creativity. So I know for me, it's like if I we're working on a book right now, and we have these we have these timelines. They're they're kind of rough, but. Josh, Sean, and I, we've been meeting for like the last three weeks, the last month uh, on Mondays, and we talk about what we need to do to get this book, this book moving. Mm-hmm. And I have a week to do certain things, and like I got to get them done. Mm-hmm. So I, I get them done. We've known about the book for months. Haven't got really anything done. <laughs> but, but having this limitation that I've imposed on myself or that we've imposed on it, it, it really forces me to sit in the chair and be creative. Mm-hmm. Who, who is it? Is it Hemingway? He was like... I think it was Fitzgerald. I think he he. Uh, I'm, I actually I attribute this quote to podcast Sean now <laughs> because so many people have said this. But like, it's, I I write only when I'm inspired, but I make sure I'm inspired every morning at eight thirty a.m. Right. <laughs> and and I think that that's the that, that's true. You have to put yourself in the chair. The best four words I've ever been taught about writing is sit in the chair, and you have to do that regularly. Sit in the chair and get creative. Like yeah. you know, I think that's the thing. It's like, oh well, how do I fix this? Get creative with it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes those limitations, they force you to be more creative because if you have abundant, unlimited resources, that's a different kind of stuck. Yeah. It's an infinite landscape. Uh, it's the paradox of choice. And we also don't want to be there. So add some limitations to breed that creativity. Looks like we have, we have several more surprise questions this week uh, about shame, about advice for feeling stuck in your career, about leaving your job to experience the world. Rosie, you've experienced the world more than just about anyone I know, so we can, <laughs> we can definitely talk about that. And I want to talk to, to Rosie about taking time to sort of breathe between creative projects, which I, I know that you've done. And also, you bought a house recently yeah. in Nashville, and I want to talk about, uh, before the podcast, we were talking about yeah, the, the stress of filling the space. So mm-hmm. you're welcome to ask, ask us some questions as well. Ryan and I have about 12 answers. I can't promise they're the right <laughs> answers, but we do have some answers to you or for you. And if you want to hear all that, you can listen to this week's Maximal episode available exclusively on Patreon. That's right. You're currently listening to our weekly Minimal episode, but each week Ryan and I record an entirely different long-form Maximal episode on the Minimalist's private podcast, which gives us the private space we need to talk about topics we don't typically talk about in public. Plus, Patreon is the best way for us to fund this podcast and keep it 100% advertisement free. When you subscribe to the Minimalist private podcast, on Patreon, you'll receive a personal link so that our maximal episodes play in your favorite podcast app. You also get access to our entire back catalog of more than a hundred private podcast episodes. Find all the details and all the good stuff, including an additional podcast episode every week over at theminimalists.com slash support. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? As always, I just want to encourage people to read more and get informed. And now here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. This is Julie from Southern Minnesota. 
I recently heard about a survey done in Canada and the U.S. on the John Tesh radio show saying that we spend more hours a week on the toilet than we do exercising. So kudos to you, Josh and Ryan, for, again, opening my eyes to possibilities on how to squeeze in some exercise and having that gentleman on your show. I learned a lot today. Thank you, and I just, like I said, I just wanted to share that. We spend more time on the toilet, which was on average three hours a week, than we do exercising. How sad is that? Hi, Josh and Ryan. I'm Dee from Meridian, Idaho. And with Mother's Day quickly approaching, I wanted to share a meaningful gift-giving idea. When my children were young and didn't have much money, I'd answer their, Mom, what do you want for Mother's Day question with a poem, a song, or a prayer. I love receiving these creative efforts. My children are now 21, 20, and 16, and I still receive some variation of this standing gift request. And to keep it clutter-free but just as meaningful, I scan their creations into my computer and throw away the paper copies and CDs. All right, y'all, that's almost it for this episode. Thanks again to Rosie Golan for joining us today. Make sure you check out her latest project. It's called Collecting Bullets. And real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. I teach an online writing class. So if you want to learn how to write better, you can head on over to howtowritebetter.org. I've been teaching this class now for, what has it been, Ryan? Maybe... Since 2011, for sure. Yeah, so, so, so going on eight years, almost man. eight years. And what I've learned is that the rising tide lifts all boats with respect to writing. Yeah. I, I first started teaching this to people who wanted to write blogs, but then people wanted to write books. I had written several books. They're like, your books really resonate with me. Other people wanted to improve their emails, mm-hmm. so like we're improving business emails, which was odd to me when I had the first few people show up. Like I'm like, oh okay, I can help you out with that. When I realized like improving your writing, learning how to write better improves your writing across all platforms, including yeah. text messages. So <laughs> if you want to learn to write your first book and or your best text messages, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Nicodemus, the author of the best-selling text message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's howtowritebetter.org. It's an online writing class. You can check it out. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839, or send a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalists. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list at theminimalists.com. You'll also receive our Simple Sunday emails each week. For our added value this week, I'm going to play you out with my favorite Rosie Golan song. It's called Think of Me from her first album. It's called The Drifter and the Gypsy. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. When you're here, but you just don't listen. When you're looking, but you just don't see. When you're thinking there's no rhyme or reason. Think of me. Think of me. When you're getting to the end of a hard day. And you're thinking it's a long way home. When you're thinking that you're just plain crazy Cause you're on your own Think of me I will find you, I promise I will make you 
Crazy.